This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. This is the Informer Daily for Friday, the 27th of March, 2020. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Today, your COVID-19 update. 12 school teachers across Australia have won awards for achievements in innovation and education. We find out more. We speak to risk expert Dr. Gav Schneider about resilience and pre-resilience. Intersex people, the I in LGBTIQA+, face unique challenges when it comes to acceptance and body autonomy. We speak to Dr. Agli Zavrosor about intersex advocacy. You know, often we talk about intersex and the words and we get caught up in the words, but they are real. It affects real people. It affects um, their lives in real ways. But first, this update. This is Dee Mason with the Joy 94.9 COVID-19 update for Friday the 27th of March. G20 leaders met last night to discuss the bloc's response to the COVID-19 pandemic and its economic effects. World leaders agreed to inject $8.2 trillion into the global economy and promised to do whatever it takes to fight the disease. Russia, China and the UN Secretary-General have also called for an end to all sanctions and trade wars to ensure essential supplies can easily be transported throughout the world. But easing up on sanctions would be a major reversal of US trade and foreign policies. The government is preparing its third economic rescue package, which could include measures that would effectively place Australia's economy in hibernation. This would allow business owners to resume business and rehire employees after the pandemic has passed without going into crippling debt. Banks, lenders and landlords would need to bear the brunt of economic pain by waiving overheads, mortgage repayments and rent for at least six months. The US now leads the world in confirmed COVID-19 cases, yet Trump is still ignoring calls to enact stronger federal actions to stop the spread. Mardi Gras potentially helped increase the spread as New Orleans faces one of the most acute outbreaks in the states. House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi has announced that a $2 trillion stimulus will be passed in the next 24 hours to try to relieve Americans who are struggling financially and boost the US economy. Rent relief will be a major talking point at today's National Cabinet meeting. One idea being discussed will be an eviction moratorium, which would mean people couldn't get evicted as quickly for not paying rent as they would under normal circumstances. Another potential measure could be a freeze on rents and debts for small businesses. It's understood that leaders are wanting a nationally consistent approach, which would further complicate things as each state has different renting laws. The Royal Commission into Violence, Abuse, Neglect and Exploitation of People with Disability has called on all Australian governments to make sure their responses to the COVID-19 consider the needs of people with disabilities. The Royal Commission says that governments should seek guidance from disability experts, advocates and people with disabilities to ensure specific strategies are in place to protect and support people with disabilities. 
People are being warned to be careful of fake news with an email full of misinformation about COVID-19 going viral in Australia and internationally. The email, claiming to be from an internal staffer at either Royal Melbourne Hospital or Royal Brisbane Hospital, contains false methods of preventing COVID-19 and has been debunked by both hospitals. As there is no vaccine yet, the only true way to prevent COVID-19 is to remain indoors, keep 1.5 metres away from other people, wash your hands regularly and don't touch your face. The Australian government is working with travel company Chimu Adventures to arrange charter flights to bring Australians stranded in South America home. Hundreds of Australians are currently stuck in Peru and Uruguay as border closures and limited routes made escape nearly impossible. The first flight, which will take off in a matter of days, will carry around 260 Australians, including some who had been stuck on the Ocean Atlantic cruise ship. One of Australia's largest life insurance providers, TAL, is moving to exclude payouts to customers who die from COVID-19, including healthcare workers currently on the front line of the disease. The exclusion clause has begun to be added to new insurance policies but shouldn't affect existing customers. Queenslanders will be required to vote in tomorrow's local elections and two state by-elections or risk being fined. Government authorities have said that social distancing, pre-polling and postal votes will mean risk for those heading to the polls is low. But doctors and scientists in the community are still confused about the decision for the vote to go ahead. Cruise ship MV Artania has been allowed to dock in Fremantle, Western Australia, due to a medical emergency on board. The ship had previously been denied port after seven people on board tested positive for COVID-19. A statement released by the WA government last night said the passenger taken from the ship is not believed to be among the infected. All other passengers and crew are being required to self-isolate on the ship. New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian has said she is concerned about community transmission and has urged people to remain indoors if possible. For people who need to go into the community, she has emphasised the importance of keeping a distance of at least 1.5 metres from other people. Berejiklian has also said that elderly people should not leave their homes under any circumstances and those who don't have someone who can bring them supplies should contact the New South Wales government. A city council member in the US state of Florida has apologised after suggesting that putting a hairdryer up your nose would cure COVID-19. Okeechobee County Commissioner Bryant Culpepper suggested the method in a public meeting last week and was immediately shut down by a public health expert. Putting a hairdryer up your nose will not kill viruses and it could possibly kill you. Or you might even be stuck with the smell of burnt hair in your nose for days. Remember, if you shouldn't put a cotton bud in your ear then a switched-on hairdryer is even a worse idea for your nose. You're listening to The Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Earlier today, I spoke with risk expert Dr. Gav Schneider, who is the CEO of Risk2 Solution Group, about businesses and resilience. I started with asking him about how businesses can cope during a pandemic. Um, what are some ways that businesses can cope when everything's uncertain? Sure, I think that's a very broad yeah. uh, topic, but we we can we can we can cover it. Maybe we divide it up and talk about it from a few different angles. Sure. I think the first angle is that one of the challenges in Australia is that uh, you know we're a socialistic, capitalistic democracy, which makes it an amazing place to live in during good times. Mm-hmm. It can make it very challenging when we're facing what we're facing now which, you know, for the most part, we've had three decades of continuous economic growth and people have been blessed to not have to worry too much. We've got a strong social safety net. The government assists with 
you know, everything from healthcare um, to unemployment, which is not the case in many other countries. Yeah. So I think the, the starting point is to remember we are pretty lucky in Australia comparatively. Mm-hmm. And while everybody's hurting, you know, it's not like Australia is hurting in isolation. So when we trickle that down, one of the challenges we've got is that, you know, I, I, it's, it's very hard for governments who are focused obviously on the health base and macroeconomic perspectives to, mm-hmm. to really understand what businesses are going through. Right. And we've, we've seen with a lot of the clients and a lot of the businesses we're talking to, there's this really big mix where bigger businesses who have dedicated uh, risk and business continuity and even crisis management capabilities are responding comparatively well. You know, they're activating the plans that they've developed and they're dusting them off for the most part. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of those businesses have been able to transition quite well to mm. remote work and different ways of doing things. The tear down, I think, is where the problems start, mm-hmm. where potentially there aren't enough resources and historically haven't been enough resources or focus on thinking about what to do when things go wrong. Right. And primarily those are the businesses we see that are hurting the most, uh, ranging from you know not being able to trade at the extreme uh, version of that mm-hmm. to a more simplistic, hold on a second, we, we don't even have work from home compliance strategies. Yeah. You know, we don't even have software or, or, or tools that will enable us to actually work in the changing conditions. Mm-hmm. So for businesses like that who are still, who are still operating, uh, still have clients who are paying them and have revenue coming in, my urge to them is, number one, this is a chance to focus on leadership. And this is a chance to get everything you've needed to be future-proofed in order. Uh, we, we talk about a continuum or a spectrum. At the bottom of the continuum are businesses that just operate based on compliance. Mm-hmm. So we don't worry about things going wrong, but we do what we have to so we don't get into trouble. Yeah. A step up from that is businesses who are focused on the concept of resilience, which mm-hmm. is, you know, we, we want to be able to bounce back and get back to the position we were in before something goes wrong. But in essence, we're not going to put too much effort and time into it. But we're, we're a little more sophisticated. It's not just about compliance. Yeah. And, and, and then there's the ones we like to focus on and the, the clients we like to work with, which are the ones who have a focus on pre-zillions. And the concept of pre-zillions is not just how do we go back to what we were before the bad thing happened, it's how do we come up stronger and better. Mm. And it's a significantly different mindset. And, and that mindset is not necessarily linked to the size or scale of a business. Uh, I'll give you a few examples. You know, we've seen, for example, uh, people who ran coffee shops in business districts switch to online and delivery models, and some of them are really happy that they, they kind of go, we're making more money by doing home deliveries mm-hmm. and uh, taking coffee to people than we did running our shop. <laughs> so, you know, we're not caring about those stories because those people are now busy focusing on getting on with things. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I look at my own business, you know, we, we've got a security, a security division, a risk division, a medical and health division, a safety division, and a technology division that focuses on things like duress and access control. Mm-hmm. So our businesses were actually built for something like this. But the challenge we've got is that there's so much noise, even people who know we can help don't even know to reach out. Yeah. So th- this is the interesting challenge that I think we have to move away from the, the concept that we're isolated and everybody's in this for themselves. Uh, and we've got to be looking at what we refer to as shared responsibility. 
the, the problem with shared responsibility is that you know people have to buy into what we're trying to do, and as soon as people are in survival mode, where they're, they're directly feeling that they could be harmed, their first response is to you know do anything that alleviates that feeling. Mm-hmm. So we see people buying toilet paper, getting into fights in shopping malls <laughs> over toilet paper. Uh, you know, people panicking, or you sometimes see the the, the exact opposite response where people are in denial, mm. you know, going to the beach and carrying on like nothing's wrong. Yeah, and I think I think this is the hard challenge we've got, and this is where you know from the, from the businesses that are still running and aren't disrupted, I believe they they need to take a strong role in becoming more of a setting structure, and it's up to those leaders in that business structure. To be able to be able to help re-envision and provide comfort to their staff, uh, and also understand how they could come out of this better. Mm. Uh, the last group to discuss is probably the, the ones at the bottom who've been shut down, not trading, don't have money coming in, and are really worried about what the next steps are going to be. Um, we've had lots of discussions with businesses like that in the last week or so, and you know, for for them. You know, this is true survival mode and absolute desperation is kicking in. Yeah. And while the perception of a bailout blanket does you know, provide a drop of comfort for most people who employ staff or run a business, it's not enough. Mm. Uh, so, you know, th- those are the ones that really have to be thinking about you know, how do we reinvent ourselves. And I think part of the challenge that's important for all of us to remember is when we're, when we're under stress, we have this feeling of desperation. Mm-hmm. But the reality is it's not too late for any business or any structure. And, you know, while it's a harsh thing to say, if businesses have, you know, been told to shut doors and they're already at the position where they might be going under, chances are that was because they weren't running on a pre-zillion model before this. Yeah. And, you know, that, that, that's a real challenge. You can't go back and reset the clock, but we can certainly learn some valid lessons for the future. That was Dr. Gav Schneider, CEO of the Risk2 Solution Group. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. The Commonwealth Bank Teaching Awards have just awarded a series of grants to 12 school teachers across Australia for achievements in innovation in education. The teachers were awarded for, among other things, using virtual reality technology as a teaching tool and for working with Aboriginal communities to incorporate the teaching of local Indigenous languages into their classrooms. Each of the awardees will receive a $45,000 fellowship grant put toward their professional development, plus a $10,000 grant to be put toward teaching projects in their schools. We got to speak with the head of investment at Commonwealth Bank, Nathan Barker, to learn more about the awards. For the benefit of our listeners, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, Nicholas. It's Nathan Barker here. I'm the head of community investment at the Commonwealth Bank. And can you tell me a little bit about Commonwealth Bank Teaching Awards? How long has it been around? What does it seek to do? Absolutely. The Commonwealth Bank Teaching Awards is now in its fourth year. And over these four years, we've been recognising and rewarding uh, outstanding teachers across Australia. Uh, these are teachers that are really leading in either their, their classroom practice or in leading in how they're engaging their school community uh, across all sorts of different areas, be it from uh, teaching practice to well-being of students to how their community engages with outside businesses. So it's a, a really broad program and we uh, see some outstanding teachers and school leaders through the program who all receive a $45,000 fellowship, which supports both their own professional development and also a project for the school. So 
So recently, 12 Australian teachers are recognized by these awards and are being given the $45,000 fellowship grant and the additional $10,000. So can you tell me about what kind of things these teachers were doing that uh, that the Commonwealth Bank um, uh, was uh, decided to award them for? Sure thing. And uh, and just to mention that we actually have a, an expert panel that advises on this program because we delivered the program in partnership with Australian Schools Plus, who are one of Australia's leading uh, philanthropic organisations supporting schools. So together with them, we deliver this program. And the, uh, the range of projects that these teachers are delivering this year is, is, is outstanding. You've got some really classic things, you know, around uh, STEM projects and sort of engaging kids in different ways in, in STEM learning, which is, you know, very topical these days, but also things like Sharon up at the uh, Mossman State School in Queensland, who's engaged her students to learn ind- Indigenous languages. You know, and previously, those languages are really only held by the elders of the community, and they're really trying to make sure that, you know, over time, those languages don't die out. So by getting all of the school engaged in learning those languages, uh, you know, future generations will continue to have that culture connection, which is just fantastic. Um, and another example is Scott um, from South Australia, who's been working on really engaging students to think about where they're going in their career uh, and, what, and what sort of employment options they might have and bringing in new programs into the school to make sure those students who might be a little bit disengaged or marginalised are really brought into the into the school community and have an opportunity to, to prosper. There's also a focus on innovation uh, with the uh, teaching awards. So what kind of innovation are we seeing that that the awards are uh, interested in and why is innovation important in education? Uh, we think innovation is really important in education because, you know, it's something which is very topical across all industries as, as we deal with new ways of working and technology. It's a, an important part of making sure students are uh, equipped with those skills to learn and to adapt as they need to in the future. So we really see teachers that are doing great innovative programs in their in their classroom or in their school. And one of the great things about teachers is that they, they are natural innovators. So often, you know, innovation in, in business might really be thinking around how do we use technology to apply it to solve a problem. But um, often teachers use innovation in really different ways to think about how do they engage their students a little bit differently? How do they let students, you know, work on co-designing lesson plans, for example, uh, which we've seen in some of our recipients, which is, you know, really bringing, you know, if you engage a student a little bit differently, getting them, getting them to articulate what do they want to learn, where do they want to take their their um, their future in the school um, and inspire them to have that love of learning, which we really see our teachers doing an outstanding job of inspiring. And uh, how important is the contribution teachers make to children? Oh, it's unquestionably very important. Teachers are the ones that really connect our young people from being, you know, um, minds that can learn to sort of, you know, future fit for the adults at the end of their schooling career. So it, teachers are, play a critical role and we, are, we certainly have this program in place because we really see them as being the really important step in making sure all of us have the opportunity to, to grow into the people that we want to be and contribute to the community in the way that we'd like to. So we really applaud all teachers for the efforts that they do. And uh, one of the things I'd just like to say is I think teachers, you know, they, you know, they often have a, a, a battle with some students or a battle with some of the communities, but they certainly do make sure that they are, get the, get a, a love of learning no, no matter where a student's going to go in their, in their life. They try and set them up for success. And I think that's a really admirable profession. So I certainly applaud the teachers of Australia. These awards already have 36 alumni from previous years. Um, what kind of uh, things have you seen from these alumni as, the, as they've received their awards? What's that, what's that money uh, been put towards that you know of? Uh, it's a very diverse set of projects. You know, a lot of the projects involve really scaling up their projects from being things that are happening in just one school to sort of working out across other school communities. Um, but one of the great things about the alumni is that t- these teachers who are really at the top of their profession love connecting with each other and learning from each other. So 
one of the real benefits we find with the fellows is that they love that opportunity to connect and learn, to see how they can adapt different projects, which might not be relevant to their own piece of work, but they could sort of apply in a different way. Uh, earlier this year, we were lucky enough to bring together the 36 alumni uh, together for a symposium, and that was just fantastic to see the, uh, the energy in the room as they really learn from each other. Um, so one of the, whilst they, you know, let they enjoy the recognition, they certainly get a lot of value out of the, the dollar investment they get from their prize. The real win for a lot of these teachers is actually that connection with other outstanding teachers. That was Nathan Barker, Head of Investment at the Commonwealth Bank, speaking to informer reporter Nicholas Kamenyar-Sandry. If there's a teacher you know of who you think deserves to be known for their inspiration or innovation, and I'm sure there's many, 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 you can nominate them at teachingawards.com.au. This is The Informer on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Intersex people face a number of barriers, including acceptance and body autonomy. Nicholas Kamenyar-Sandri spoke with intersex advocate Dr. Agli Zavros-Or. What are some of the things that people misunderstand about what it means to be intersex? Right, that's a really good question. And where I start talking to people about is that really we need to understand the difference between when we talk about sex, not you know in terms of as what we're born with, our gender and our sexuality. So intersex refers basically to the way that we are born, how a baby is formed inside the womb and then how it's born and how it appears, its its hormonal makeup, its anatomy. A lot of people refer to, um, often the medical profession really um, looks at the baby's body looks at their genitalia and if there's ambiguous genitalia often ask questions and often make decisions that probably not in the best interest of the child. So part of the work that we do is to raise awareness and to suggest that perhaps well more than suggest to actually advocate that surgery is not the best um, start for a new baby that really the baby should be left alone until it's of an age to understand what is happening to their body and to then make decisions about you know how they want their body changed, if at all. Yeah, so I suppose something that is probably a common misconception is that people might believe that a unusual set of sexual characteristics is... A, it is some kind of like pathology that it needs right. to be corrected yeah. but yeah. a lot of a lot of people can live with you know uh non-conforming anatomy you know quite healthily mm. it, it's not it's not necessarily something that needs to be corrected you know yeah and that's the big push um for uh, intersex human rights australia in terms of really depathologizing what it means to be intersex to raise awareness in terms of the diverse experiences that people have about being intersex. And in many cases, because there are up to about 40 known variations, some of the most common ones we know about, like Klanfelders, AIS, CAIS, those are common ones that people often refer to. However, there are variations that don't impact on, or are identifiable until there's something that comes into question. Um, 
you know, that's sort of uh, maybe a health concern or an examination, you know, it could be in the teen as, um, you know, sort of like for me, I was born with 46XY SWI syndrome. So by all intents and purposes, I have a body that looks female. However, it just doesn't behave like a female body because I don't produce hormones. And so it wasn't until later in my teens that they discovered that, you know, oh, okay, something's different and then people investigate. I suppose it's it's with that awareness is being it's moving away from the medicalized model which often instead of using the term intersex uses disorder of sex development which is quite a negative and has a negative connotation in terms of how people start to see themselves, how they understand their bodies, how they understand their their variation. And so it's really important that, um, and the work that we do across the community and especially on um, Intersex Awareness Day is to raise awareness around that stuff so that people who are working with may have an intersex person that they know, you know, sort of, if there are listeners who are in the medical profession, think about changing your practices, get informed. You know, there's a lot of work happening, you know, in terms of legislation. So, you know, it's no longer going to be okay for doctors to shut the door, you know, perform whatever surgeries they wish to perform, you know, often with really poor information to families and then, you know, allow the family to deal with um, the fallout of that operation because it's a lot of these operations are not reversible and they do impact on the lifespan of the individual. They impact on how the individual sees their body. Um, it affects their sexuality later in life in terms of, you know, um, being with a partner. Um, it can be very traumatizing. So it's not just you know, often we talk about intersex and the words and we get caught up in the words, but they are real. It affects real people. It affects um, their lives in real ways. Um, you know, so and um, one of the things that we know, it even affects um, their educational outcomes. There's a little bit of research that even points to how it affects their educational outcomes. We know that some variations, there are also cognitive issues that need to be explored. So there's a whole lot of areas in this space that need to be understood. So who, for us, on, um, on this one occasion... Um, the, in the year, I often find it really funny that we, we think about things once a year when we really need to be thinking about it across the year. But it's, it's better than nothing. We need to think about um, really educating ourselves. And if we don't know, to find out, um, you know, there's a lot of information on the ERA website. The very basic space to go is the Darlington Statement. So for people to read the Darlington Statement would be a great start because that's got about 59 points, very simple points that clearly articulate what the issues are and what intersex people are asking for. Dr. Agli Zavros or speaking with Nicholas Kamenu-Sandri. That's it from the Informer Daily for this week. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. We'll be back Monday, live on tape from my lounge room. I'd like to thank Dee Mason, Nicholas Kamenu-Sandri, Emily Johnson, Jordan Johnstone, and Rachel Tyler-Jones. I'm Arian Potts. Mahalo.
Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.